Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Well, hello, and welcome to Talk About Talk. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Whether you're an ambitious executive looking to catapult your career by improving your communication skills, or maybe you simply have a strong growth mindset, you're always looking to learn and improve your communication skills, or perhaps both. Well, you're in the right place. At Talk About Talk, we focus on communication skills topics like personal branding, confidence, and leadership. This is the critically important stuff they don't teach you in school, and that's exactly why we're here. If you check out the TalkAboutTalk.com website, you'll find online corporate training, one-on-one coaching with me, online courses, the free weekly communication skills newsletter, and, of course, the archive of this bi-weekly podcast. You can choose whatever works for you. Welcome to Talk About Talk, episode number 75. This is part one of my interview with Jill Nicolation, CEO of the Juniper Park TBWA Agency, where we talk leadership and communicating like a boss. Our conversation was so jam-packed with rich learnings that I decided to split it into two parts, two episodes. And I promise you're going to learn a lot here, from how leaders can use storytelling and metaphors, to being vulnerable at work, and what's changed for leaders due to COVID. Early in our careers, Jill and I worked together at Kraft Foods in brand marketing. But about when I left Kraft to move to Boston to pursue academia, as you'll hear, Jill diverted her career off the typical brand management track to pursue some special projects. And these special projects ended up propelling her career success. She's now the CEO of the Juniper Park TBWA agency, and you're going to love hearing her insights on leadership and communication. So here's how these two episodes will flow. I'm going to formally introduce Jill to you now, and then we're going to get right into the interview. In part two, episode number 76, we'll continue with the second half of the interview, and then I'll summarize everything for you. Sound good? As always, you don't need to take notes, because I do that for you. I'm going to simplify and summarize everything from both of these episodes at the end of part two. And you can always access the episode show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. So just keep doing whatever you're doing, driving or walking or housework, whatever. All right, let me introduce Jill. Jill Nicolation is an award-winning brand strategist with over two decades of experience in agency leadership and client-side roles with global Fortune 100 brands. She's the founder and CEO of the Juniper Park TBWA agency, its design studio, Le Park, content production company, Bolt Content, and its precision marketing firm, Scalpel. Yes, Scalpel. Remember that word, you're going to hear it a few times in this interview. But let me back up. Jill's a graduate of the Queen's University School of Business. She and I worked together at Kraft Foods, where she held numerous brand management and corporate marketing roles, and then she created Kraft's award-winning North American CRM initiative. After Kraft, she joined the agency Grip Limited as a partner. In her role today as the leader of her agency, Juniper Park TBWA, Jill brings together the disciplines of strategy, advertising, data, and design for their North American clients, including firms like CIBC, Nissan, Apple, GoDaddy, Capital Group, PepsiCo, Pfizer, and UNICEF, amongst others. Jill was named by AdAge US as Women to Watch and as Canada's Mad Woman by the Globe and Mail. Her team has won 29 Effies, including the Grand Prix, IPA Award, Global Work Prize, 
and her creative leads have earned 61 Lions Awards at Cannes. Jill is also a sub-four-hour marathoner, an avid skier, and proud mother to her swimming champion daughter, Olivia. She also happens to be a lovely human, as you're about to hear, with incredible self-awareness and a desire to create a positive work environment for her people. Let's listen as Jill generously shares her leadership and communication insights. Thank you so much, Jill, for joining us here today to talk about leadership and communication skills. It's such a pleasure to be here, Andrea. Thanks for having me. My first question is a big one. What is your leadership philosophy? My leadership philosophy, I would sum it up as don't lead through a rear view mirror. Yesterday's behind us. What I tell my team all the time is notice what's ending and let it. And notice what's emerging and step into it. Wow. So perspective yeah. and being proactive, but also internalizing what has happened. What has happened and, and, and letting go is a big part of leadership. I'm really big and let it go. You can't step into the new when you're pulling all the baggage of the past. And we have to move so quickly. Everything's changing so quickly that the less baggage you have, the less attachment you have to past ideas or past identities, the faster you can move into the future. So I tell my team all the time is just notice what's ending and let it go. Mm, I love that metaphor. I can actually imagine a Mm -hmm. team climbing a mountain and they've got this big, heavy baggage. Yes. And their leader saying, drop the bag. Drop the bag. Like, why are you carrying this uphill? You're actually making me think of this. I think it's the movie Ants, <laughs> where uh, they're going to a new anthill. And one of the ants says, why are we carrying all this crap? Aren't we just going to get new crap when we get there? <sighs> and it's true. He's like, why are we pulling all this crap from one anthill to another? And, and my daughter and I laugh about it. Don't bring everything forward. Let things end. Mm. Be grateful. It's very Marie Kondo. Thank you. You served me well. I'm going to let you go. I yeah. love it. You've served your purpose. That's what she would say, you, right? You've served you did, your purpose. You purpose and be really grateful. And I find when you say thank you to things, either it's business models or it's team members or processes, you leave the animosity and you leave the resistance and you leave the fear of letting go. You, you just consciously open up your hands and drop it. Do you have any specific examples? Yeah. Um, I lead an advertising agency and communications changing all the time. And so for us, letting go, let's let's say of production methodologies where it used to be big and polished, et cetera. It's like, okay, sometimes you need that, but most times we need a piece of content that's going to be relevant for, I don't know, three days. And so let go of the process that made a great big Super Bowl ad and actually let it all go and go, what will we do? to create a piece of content that only needs to be relevant for three days. Well, that's a whole lot freer. It's a different budget. So instead of taking what you had and whittling it down, drop it and create a whole new process. Or advertising used to always be, you start with the insight, which is more of a an ethnography type of understanding. Well, now data leads. Mm. And so letting go of, yeah, yeah, but, but, and resisting that going, actually, what if we got a brilliant team of data scientists in here? And then we'll look for insights so letting go of the way it used to be done. I mean, you and you and I grew up at Craft. It was all about the insight. Well, now it's data leads. But again, let go of the way you learned things. 
So as you're describing that, I'm thinking of two things. One is that having this philosophy and encouraging your staff to adopt the same philosophy is enabling them and you to pivot, which is such an overused term, but it really is, right? But we really are. I think pivots overused and people are just making making steps, but <laughs> we, no, we, <laughs> we literally pivot. Yeah. You know, in COVID, we launched two new divisions and our business had our best year ever in COVID when advertising is being stopped. We had our right. best ever because we truly pivoted into the new. And the other thing that came to mind as you were describing this example was a growth mindset. So you're also, I think, implicitly encouraging yourself and your staff to think of what's next and what's coming forward and what you can learn and... Of yeah. course, we need to keep in mind the consumer insights, for example, right? Of course. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, growth mindset, so many people have heard that, but they don't actually know what it means because they go, but I'm afraid to grow. And so finding other words, less buzzword, but just notice what's ending. And then we'll, we'll have, I'll do a staffing. What do we think is ending? Go in the chat. What do you guys see as ending? And interesting to see, oh yeah. Then they'll go, well, that's as ending. Okay. What, what do we see that's starting? And then, and so, and meanwhile, you've got them in a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't actually actively growing. And those of us who embody it, uh, we can throw the shorthand at people, but shorthands aren't clear for a lot of people. I agree. Cliches are powerful and dangerous at the same time, right? Exactly. So if that's your leadership philosophy, I'm curious if you may also have a communication philosophy. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Funny you ask. I'd say there's three things. One is precision. And that's the big one I'd love to spend time on with you. Precision, compassion, and frequency. Those are the three I'd say form my signature style, which I have found to be quite effective, especially in this moment where we're all virtual. Can you describe or define what each of those elements are? Yeah. So precision with words. We need to be specific with our words because our words form a narrative and then we work to make that narrative true. And so if we're lazy with our words and we blanket things like, I'll never crack this. Like, really? Never? Like, <laughs> never? Really? Are you sure? Like, are the clients always like this? Or this, yeah. this process is always so called Always? Never? The question I ask my team all, a lot, my daughter too, is, is that true? That's interesting. Is that true? Mm. But it's never like, never going to happen or it's always. So I, I don't like extreme words because rarely ever. Hyperbole is dangerous too, right? That's exactly it. All this is on my shoulders. Really? You're the only one? There's no one on your team that could absolutely can help you. We have a very familiar, very collective culture. So when people says like, it's all on my shoulders, I got, it's like, okay, is that true that it's all on you? It might feel that way, but is it true? And is that the expectation? Mm. I use precision a lot. And that's obviously very powerful and important when you guys are creating copy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true too. Because I think they're precise in when they're writing words for a client, but it's like the shoemaker's kids. When you use it for yourself, you get sloppy. Mm-hmm. So another, another thing is to be pithy. And something that I learned back when we were at Craft, we had this facilitator, his name was Kavis, and he had a rule. He said, tell me the headline, and then you can talk as long as you want. Mm. Then when you had a crisp headline, you actually didn't need to talk that long. But when you weren't clear in what you wanted to say, 
boy, you had a lot to say and you'd walk it around and people are like, where are they going with this? And so again, when I try and write or when I speak, what's the headline? So for example, I was on a panel the other day and someone said to me, oh, how's your business doing? And so he says that we had our best year ever. And they go, why do you think that is? And my answer was because catastrophe requires sharpshooters. Brilliant. Wow. This is a catastrophe moment business-wise. And my team is a team of sharpshooters. And I actually call them Ninja Navy SEALs because I can't decide which ones they are. So I <laughs> put it all together. <laughs> they both They're Ninja Navy SEALs. We are the elite team. Basically, if you're in a crisis, what our clients are saying is, get me out of this. We're that team. So we're doing extremely well in a catastrophe because this is the caliber you want. But that answer, catastrophe requires sharpshooters. Three words. And it just said so much. So that's what I mean by headlines. And then I can talk as long as I want, but I don't know if I need to once you hear that. I've told this story actually in some workshops. I learned that the hard way when I was a doctoral student and I had the opportunity for the first time to present my academic research to my peers and some faculty members. And I got up and I spent all this time with my script and my slides. And I started talking and about 15 minutes in, one of the senior faculty members stood up and said, Andrea, why are we here? Oh, right. <laughs> and I was thinking exactly. in my head, I don't want to tell you because there's a punchline. No, 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 no. So I learned that. No. I really Put learned that the hard way right there and then. And, and I use it now, when, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a workshop, even when I'm writing newsletters, like you tell them what you're going to tell them. And then, and then go in. So even when my team's writing, I was just working with this one of my teams yesterday. When you work on a keynote or a PowerPoint, whichever form you're using, do not make the headline a label. Context, agenda, like, <laughs> like design system. I'm like, no, the design system will evolve from last year in two specific ways. Like, like oh, like, the, brilliant. So reading the page is optional. If I just go through and read your headlines, I've got what you're saying. Brilliant. Nothing else is context. You want people to get the point, then say the point. It's respectful to your audience, whether they're listening or reading, whatever. It's respectful of their time, right? True. It's absolutely true. So that, that's precision. Another communication philosophy I have is compassion. And I would say I lead from the feminine. And I didn't always do that. Mm. And it was brought to my attention four years ago. And I made a structural change. And my coach, whom I learned so much from, he was like, you know, Jill, now that you are restructuring... It's time to step into your natural style, which is, he goes, but you've been leading from the masculine because I grew up in a family of three brothers, you know, lots of boys in the house. The language of business is typically masculine and then advertising is ultra masculine. And he said, you've learned, that's a learned language for you, but it's not your natural language. And it was an epiphany for me. Right. I'm not, <laughs> that's not my way. <laughs> so then I, I did some, I did some really some deep work to go, well, how do I show up naturally? And once I gave myself permission to come as my whole self, my leadership took a whole new level, but also I dress differently. I show up differently and my team just like, oh, and then my team's performance went up a level too, because wow. I came in my whole self, which means, cause you know, that people watch what leaders do. So all of a sudden I'm showing up as myself, which automatically signals they can show up as their selves. And then vulnerability just happens. Wow. I have to say, 
what you just shared with me. I've got the shivers. I, oh. I'm working a lot right now on personal branding and I'm encouraging people to, to step into what makes them unique. And yeah. yes. I, I feel like if I had been a fly on the wall when your coach shared that with you and you said you, you kind of had an epiphany and you had to do some work to yeah. figure out how to show up, I have this saying that I share, which is unique is better than better. And so you were, you grew up in a household and then you were working in industries where better meant masculine. Yes. And now you're embodying your true, authentic, unique self. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, again, I got the shivers. It's like your superpower. Yes. And then advertising is very in-person. It's a team sport. We put things up and we build and we touch. And now we're doing that through screens. It, well, you really need to reach into the screen and be compassionate through the screen. So a couple of examples I should say of compassion. I know you talk a lot about listening and, and I love that. And how I phrase it, I kind of amp it and go, can you hold space for someone? Because mm. a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. They're actually hearing. Yeah. They're not listening. Yeah. And I love your, you know, you've talked about the two to one ratio. You have two ears and one mouth, and that's the ratio you should use. So I use this, not my phrase, but holding space because those words mean, no, hold the space. You're going to hold the container. Really? And how, how'd you get to that conclusion? How did that make you feel? Truly let them get it off their chest and dimensionalize it. But if you're listening, you're, you, you know this, you're often listening to respond. But if you hold space, you go, no, my job is just to hold the space, is just to keep everything from interrupting you, including myself. And I actually have a container. It's outside here, actually. It's a clear container. Sometimes I go, okay, put it in the box. Look at that thing. Let's just talk about, and I, I literally put it in the box for some people. I'm like, no, no one's touching it. We're just going to hold space for it. We're nice. just gonna look at it. And that helps some people understand what I mean. But when you hold space and people feel hurt, often they just go, do you understand what I'm saying? And if it's a client saying, I don't like this for X, Y, Z, I literally hold space. Yeah. But when you hold space, then you can get a clear picture. And then what you say back is so much more informed. You have a full picture. And if someone doesn't like what I'm, what we're presenting, I, I can hold space because I'm so confident in what it is. But I, I can wait. I can hold my point. I can hold it for 20 minutes if you want. So one question about compassion, and this may link back to what you were saying before about avoiding buzzwords and, and using a different word that may define what you really mean. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between compassion and empathy? It's a good one. Empathy for me is I literally can feel what you feel. Okay. And compassion is more, wow, I'm observing how you feel. That must feel horrible. Tell me more about it. Not everyone is empathetic. I I am. I have to protect that because sometimes I don't need to feel what everyone's feeling. Right. But I also made an assumption that everyone can. But it's, it's like sympathy versus empathy are not the same thing. One is literally I can walk a mile in your shoes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then yeah, I want it's a bit to- of a burden. Yeah. It's a burden. Yeah, it is. My empathy can be, I think all of us have superpowers that can become, that have a shadow (laughs) sides. Absolutely. Okay. And then the third part of your communication philosophy is frequency. Yeah. Frequency is important because just because we say it once doesn't mean people absorbed it uh, or have full context. And so repeating things. So frequency of make sure you say things, you're consistent. Second part of frequency, I mean, is I literally get in front of people often. This is new for COVID times. 
We talk to our team every single Monday morning for half mm -hmm. an hour without fail, never miss. And I personally talk to the team every Thursday without fail, never miss. And knowing that we have that drumbeat is really important. Professor Tom DeLong at Harvard drilled it into us that ambiguity is always perceived negatively. And that's what we do as humans. And if I don't know what's happening, uh-oh, why aren't they telling us this? Like, I don't know, I didn't think you needed to know, or I thought you understood. For frequency, we literally get, and if I go, even if I go, hi, it's not much to share with you this Thursday, but I promised you I'd be here every Thursday and here's what I got. And so even if I have nothing to say, I don't cancel. I come and say, there's no news. Brilliant. No changes. So they can have assurance. What we do every Friday, we call it pulse, to get the pulse. Every Friday, we text our entire team and say, how did it go this week? Good or bad? Any comments? And then every Friday they have a platform to anonymously tell us how things are going. They can communicate to us. How is it going? And it could be, oh my gosh, shout out to this team. Or you know what? My home chair is really uncomfortable. Is the company going to upgrade our home chairs? It could be anything. And then we share it Monday morning. We literally put the comments up. Okay okay, how are we trending? Here's a thumbs up comments, here's the thumb downs, and here's the asks. And everybody shows up because it really is anonymous. Wow. Criticism is, is a gift. Even if it comes out as, ah, like someone said to me, uh, or it came up through the feedback, Jill's positivity is toxic. Oh, like, wow. Right? Like, oh, but then I, I felt it. I'm like, okay, is it true? No, I, 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 we talked through what is toxic positivity and why am I positive? Like as a leader, I don't think you need me to come up here on Thursdays and say, this is really hard. That, that's not helpful. It is hard, but I don't, I'll stay there, but I won't stay there. Uh. But what I said to them, I'm grateful that you said it. Behind every criticism is a wish. I'm finding this really hard and I'm overwhelmed. Or Jill's making it seem like everything's going well and it's not. And I don't know how to ask for help. And I feel like I'm the only one. Uh, and then I leaned in and I said, okay, everyone has my cell phone number, but let me give it to you again. Everyone grab a pencil, text me, call me. I don't know who you are. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. Everyone energetically, let's wrap our arms around each other. Give ourselves a big hug. What we're doing is so hard. And one of us, some of us are struggling. Look into your circles, find out who they are and help them. So I literally talk that way. That's now compassion, but frequency. You never go more than four business days without being able to find, you can say it to your boss anytime, but if you find it's something you can't say, either it's too small or it's too frightening for you to say, you have the anonymous, we call it pulse. I can't Amazing. imagine running a business without it now. We've been doing it for a year. So um, I was just listening to a podcast, uh, Work Life with Adam Grant. And oh, love that. And he interviews Brene Brown and he talks about, you know, in companies, they often provide for customers a suggestion box. Right now, we need to have an internal complaint box, like yes. an issue box. And so, we have it. We have well it. Done. I listened to that podcast too. It was fantastic. It is. So I wanted to ask you more about buzzwords, but before we do that, you mentioned, you know, the effects of the pandemic and COVID and working from home a few times. And, and it sounds as if you had many of these philosophies and exercises and structures that you had created for your organization before COVID and maybe COVID and the whole experience of working from home has reinforced the significance of these things. But is there anything that's changed in terms of your leadership and or communication philosophy? Yes. So I'd say I turned it from like a dial of four 
to like 9.5. Yeah. Like we, we would have the Mondays. We never had Thursdays too. And they're different. One is Mondays is we report back what you said. And Thursdays is super personal. Thursdays are intimate. I never did that before. I, I, had, I had everybody physically with me and I never met them every Thursday. I thought, what am I going to say every Thursday? Why would they come? And I never got so intimate. They see me without makeup on. I actually, I, I talk about sometimes how I, I'm coming in. I'm like, okay, I'm coming in and I'm a floor right now. And I'm, but I'm here. I lost my energy today. And, and so, but we're here. I let them see me not at my best. But I'm like, but we're here and I'm going to pull energy from you to this afternoon because sometimes you pull energy from me and I'm going to pull energy from you. And or I was up all night helping my daughter with biology exam. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm taking grade 12 biology all of a sudden because we're homeschooling. <laughs> I'm exhausted. So I, I'd say my level of compassion is way up, vulnerability, way up, frequency. I turned that up. And I guess going back to vulnerability, I name things. For example, one time I said to my team, all right, I'm coming in like a five today. And I said, we went through the stage of adrenaline. Then we went to endurance and now we're in monotony. I think this is like late fall last year. I said, we're in monotony. And my executive team's like texting me, what do you, don't name it. I'm like, no, I'm naming it. I'm, <laughs> I love it. I said, so we're going to talk about how do we stay inspired through monotony? My meals have gotten sloppy. I'm not dressing up for you guys anymore. I said, I'm just, I'm sinking into the monotony. And I said, but people hire us to be creative and inspiring. So we cannot sink to monotony. We can't. That, that Our job as sharpshooters is to create brilliantly creative, persuasive answers. So how do you be creative when you're bored and you're scared and you're numb? Maybe you're feeling that too. All right, let's name it. And we can't let ourselves go there. I never used to talk this way. Do you tell your staff regularly where you are on a scale of one to 10 today? Yes. Like, do you yes. check in like that? Like Brene Brown does with her. She talks. I, about that's what, I got it from Brene Brown. She said yeah. she comes home with her husband. Like, oh, we're both at seven. Uh Oh, we have a 30% gap. So I do. And I do that with my executive team too. So anyways, my executive team, we meet every single day at two 30. We never did that before. So nothing goes longer than a day. Yeah. So I'm hearing a lot of inspiring messages for leaders and, and for everyone, frankly, Jill. So I, I'm really inspired by your self-awareness and I'm really mm -hmm. inspired by your vulnerability, as, as you call it, and as I'm sure as a parent to the people that you're with. And then that has so many positive benefits for your organization and then for your clients, right? Mm -hmm. And you said turning up the dial and I, I'm seeing a dashboard with all these dials, with all of these philosophies that you've talked about and you can turn them up and down. And yeah. right now, a lot of them are being turned up. Yes. So there are so many leadership and communication buzzwords out there, right? We've talked about authenticity, but there's resilience, there's servant leadership, there's inclusiveness, there's optimism, there's transparency, there's a growth mindset. How do you as a leader navigate all of this advice and rhetoric? Because I know that you're reading and you're listening and it's really overwhelming. How do you decide what matters? Such a good question. As we talked earlier, buzzwords are helpful shorthands, but they also gave us places to hide. And so what I try and do is not use them if I can. Again, back to my part about precision, buzzwords usually aren't precise. They're fat words. They catch a lot of things. They're, they're bulky. And so I like to use plain language. And I learned this from my CFO at an agency I, I was at before I started this one. She wrote like no other finance person ever. She such plain language. But I remember thinking, I so appreciate the way you're writing anyone. Because she was because I'm writing finance for creative people to understand. 
And so I, I, that imprinted on me to go, what's the clearest I can be? So short answer, I try to avoid buzzwords because they're actually lazy. Precision, there's something I say to my team and to clients, butter knife, steak knife, scalpel. We are the scalpel. Okay, Jill, I, I have to say that your metaphors are blowing my mind. Oh my gosh. That, that, literally. And, and so we launched our precision marketing firm. We called it Scalpel. One of my creative guys, let's just call it Scalpel. You're always pushing us to be the Scalpel, Jill. So let's just call it data is going to let us be the Scalpel. But that's what I mean by being precise. Buzzwords are rarely a Scalpel. They're usually butter knives, I yeah, find. It's true. Like you said, use plain language. Plain language. Yeah. They say, oh, we should be vulnerable. We should show up as our authentic selves. Yeah. And because most people say vulnerable, then they mistake that as being personal. Right. And vulnerability and personal, they're, they're two different things. Yeah, it's orthogonal. So Jill, as I was sharing with you, I've been asked so many times what I think the number one most important communication skill is. And I used to say quite easily, listening over the last couple of years, actually, I, even before COVID started, I, I was hearing things from my coaching clients and from my podcast listeners that made me really think about this, I, I guess, more completely. And it's not just listening. So now I say there's three superpowers, listening, storytelling, and communicating with confidence. And there's different reasons why each of those show up on my list. But I'm wondering, what do you think about this list? Okay, so I love your list. And the way I hear those things, so listening, we talked about, I say that as hold space, truly listen. So that, that's me. It's like, yep. And listen for it with capital L, hold space. Confidence, I love. I would say that that's, for me, precision brings that. When people talk with precision, you're very confident in what you mean. When you're not confident, you use lazy words because you're not really sure. You're coming in like a butter knife. And so I agree with confidence. Storytelling, Absolutely. Yeah, you're an advertiser, of course. <laughs> yes, but, but but you think about way back to the cavemen, they drew pictures on cave, on cave walls and they told stories. Why? Because that's how we remember things. We don't really remember data points, but remember when you string them in a story, we remember. Or even my metaphor about butter knife, steak knife, scalpel, you go, oh, I'm gonna I can say you should be you should be precise with your words. Yeah. But when I put it in a metaphor of like, yeah, like a butter knife isn't really cutting much. It's a butter knife spreads things. You spread yeah. peanut butter. You're actually not cutting much. Anything that needs cutting, you get the steak knife out. And then, you know, if I'm getting heart surgery, I, I want that guy to have a scalpel. I want him to be really precise. So I'd say storytelling, metaphors are helpful, personal experience, relevance. So putting yourself in the story. I also find when I tell people stories, what I'm hoping they can go, oh, finding a universal truth. So relevance is really important to storytelling. But I love your three. You said listening, confidence, and storytelling. Oh, um, gosh. I could, I could talk to you about each of those three for an hour. But I think each of those is a skill that you could do a whole deep dive, well, a lesson on. In community communication, how many people listening on this podcast have actually gone to school on how to hold space for somebody? Yeah, exactly. You actually just made me think of something, which is recently I've been talking to some tech entrepreneurs and they're talking about how the leaders of organizations that they're talking to, the tech leaders are saying that the skills that are needed in the workplace most are these interpersonal and communication skills, right? Yeah. So, well, because it's how you, it's how you get the most out of everybody. And what my job as a leader is to communicate the vision. Absolutely. And, but it's also to make people feel safe. Because you can't be brave if you don't feel safe. 
you can't take risks. It's hard to innovate if you don't feel safe. But also I've realized as a leader, when people feel safe, they go out and do extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And then I, I take that as a big responsibility is, is how do I, uh, in this environment, all environments, but this one in particular is like, oh yeah, you're right. I am studying. I am going to school and things because the softer stuff gets people, gets their guards down. It makes innovation happen. It makes collaboration smoother. Because if we don't trust each other and we don't feel safe, we don't show up here's a dumb idea. I'm not going to say that if I feel like I'm being judged, but if the CEO gets up and says, guys, I made a huge mistake. Or one day I, I did, I snapped at somebody. I was, I was, I was just so frustrated. I was, I waited a few minutes and I said, okay, I have to stop the meeting. I was short with you. I'm so sorry. And they're like, no, no, it's okay. I said, no, it's not okay. Please don't dismiss it as okay. I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to everybody on this screen that wasn't kind and it was unnecessary and it wasn't anything you did. It was me. My frustration came out on you. And then on my Thursday huddle, I talked about it. Hey, I had this thing and I, I threw my, my frustration onto somebody and I apologized to everybody there, but I want to make sure everyone here knows that I know what happens. I did it too. Let's make sure we, if we're going to do it, make sure we apologize as quickly to the incident as possible because we're human. We're going to do it. But that's also like showing them it's okay. We can make mistakes. It's not okay to do that, but it's okay to apologize. When you wow. You're creating an environment that's just so psychological. I'm trying to avoid buzzwords when I'm around you, but it's psychological safety. A yeah. big motivator for me. Yeah. So I have a prediction, Jill. You're going to have a, you're going to be flooded with resumes after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So how many of you want to go work for Jill? Well, for starters, her executive assistant did. Val Smith left Kraft years ago to join Jill as her EA. And I really enjoyed catching up with Val as we were coordinating this interview. And you should hear Val gush about Jill and the incredible culture that she's cultivated at Juniper Park TBWA. Yes, even during COVID, Jill has grown the agency. So we heard Jill's general leadership philosophy, looking forward, not back, and letting go of all that baggage, as well as her communication philosophy, Three things. Do you remember? Precision, compassion, and frequency. Don't worry, I'm going to summarize all of that and more after part two of this interview. In the next episode, episode number 76, Jill and I will pick up where we left off. Amongst other things in that episode, you'll hear how Jill overcame imposter syndrome. Yes, even Jill experienced imposter syndrome. Plus, the general career advice that she shares with anyone who asks. Things she attributes her own success to, including what she keeps in those two notebooks of hers, and lots more. As I said, I'll summarize everything for us after the second interview, and you can access everything in the show notes on the TalkAboutTalk.com website. While you're there, I really hope you'll sign up for the TalkAboutTalk Talk newsletter. This is your chance to get free communication skills coaching from me every week in a simple-to-digest email. I promise, no spam and no more than one per week. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up or email me directly and I'll add you to the list. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks again to Jill for so generously sharing her time and her insights. You could probably tell we had a lot of fun reconnecting. There's lots more to come in part two. Until then, thanks for listening and talk soon. Talk soon.